0: So the the question, Shelby, was how do we find that truth? Mm. It's these gentle, quiet ways. It's in the listening. right? And we all want to be two things. We want to be, well, I don't want to say everybody. I'll, I'll speak for myself and what I see in most of my clients. We want to be fully expressed as we know ourselves to be, and we want to be safe doing it.
1: Are you over 40? Do you feel like you're stuck? Maybe you've always had this knowing that you're meant to do more. Well, on the other side of fear is exhilaration. Your life has purpose. You were born to make an impact. Dear Midlife is about triumphing
2: over life's adversities together and empowering women over 40 to navigate
1: with strength and courage all of the messiness of life. Hi, I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, full-time single mother of two teenage girls, world traveler, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired
2: little girl living in a grown woman's body that's still full of spunk, charm, and sass with a sprinkle of some black girl magic. We are both a work in progress and together we are here to link arms with you as we make it our mission to be our best selves and share tips, tricks, and expert advice through no holds barred conversations for navigating the ups and downs that come with living life in the middle.
1: Today, we have an extraordinary conversation with Brian Matson, who is a psychotherapist. He's here to discuss with us the theory of attachment styles and how they affect our adult relationships. Attachment styles refer to the particular way in which an individual relates to other people. And this style of attachment is formed at the very beginning of life. Brian suggests between zero and three years. And once established, it's a style that stays with you and plays out in the way that you relate to others in your intimate relationships and how you even parent your own children in the current day. As a psychotherapist, he explores how attachment styles and trauma, both big T and little t traumas, limit our intimacy in romantic and personal relationships. Brian says, love is always in the listening and insecure attachment and trauma decrease our ability to listen, listen to our bodies, listen to others. And as a result, he spends much of his time helping his clients regulate their nervous systems so they can really listen and stay present. In this episode, Brian even takes us through an exercise in which we tap into how we can regulate our nervous system and truly start to hear and honor what our bodies are telling us and get closer to our truth. Brian is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and his work has been influenced by almost 20 years in private practice, a 25-year meditation practice, in-depth reading of Eastern philosophy, and extensive world travel. He has a master's degree in clinical psychology and a bachelor's degree in history. And I thoroughly enjoy this conversation with him because it really helped as we continue to struggle with this theme of identity. You know, I feel like we assume so many different identities through life. The identity of wife, mother, spouse, PTO president, Girl Scout troop leader, that we lose ourselves. And in midlife, we start to have time and space to really consider who are we really? What brings us joy? And in this episode, Brian teaches us to get quiet and really listen. And in doing that, get closer to our truth. And so we welcome Brian to the show today. And if you're really enjoying this podcast and you're struggling with the same themes of identity and who you want to be, who you are at your core, then leave us a review or share this episode and let us know that you're listening. And without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Brian Matson. Brian, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome,
0: Brian. Yeah, thank you. It's so nice to be here. It's nice to see your faces and talk to you.
1: Yes. Yeah, likewise. I've been really looking forward to this conversation actually because I know Trinity and I did the attachment styles assessment, but I'll be honest with you, I'm not truly in full understanding of what are attachment styles. So I would love for you to maybe talk to us a little bit about what attachment styles are and really what was your journey to bring you to this place where this has become an important tool that you use in your practice.
0: Uh, So I'll start with the attachment styles. Attachment styles are basically a framework that gets laid over the true self based on how we're related to or not related to by our primary caregiver or caregivers and it's below the surface of who we know ourselves to be but it shows up in everything we do particularly in our primary meaningful romantic relationships where vulnerability dependency and some idea of the future happens and the attachment style gets installed what I'll say is from I say People say from zero to two or zero to three. I say from mm. conception to about three, and mm. and then it may not show up again until somebody develops a deep relationship that includes dependency, some form of dependency, vulnerability, and usually some idea of I may be able to have a future with this person, and then all the stuff happens, <laughs> right? It's and it gets it gets messy. Like I like to say, like. Relationships start in the ideal, move through the ordeal and go to the real deal. And I like the, that. Yeah. And during the ideal, that's usually when we're falling in love and falling in love is usually about me. It's mm-hmm. not about the other person. It's not about the relationship. It's about me. You know, falling in love is my ideas, my projections, my ideas, what I'm going to get out of the relationship. But intimacy starts when I'm in a relationship, not to get what I want but to share in intimacy. And that happens later, right? And then love is about, I love the relationship, and I love the person with all the foibles. And so a lot of times, like, the real, like, third, fourth stage relationships happen where we're we're relating to create a relationship, the third, you know, it's like, it's the third thing that needs care and nurturing. And so one of the things that A lot of people do that I'll work with them on is don't ask what I want to what my partner wants, but what does the relationship want? Because Hmm. most most of our amazing moments, most of our mystical moments come when we encounter or participate in something that's bigger than ourselves. And so when we're seeking relationship and to nurture and be in relationship and what does the relationship need from me, we get exponentially bigger. And that becomes wonderful because our natural state from conception is multiplying. It's expanding. It's becoming more, it's taking up more space and being amazing in that space and letting others into the space safely and intimately. It's not staying small. And so when we get scared, when we hold back, there's a contraction. So anyway, I'm going to stop. And you guys ask, because I could just keep going. So I really want to talk about what feels useful instead of just going off. So
2: the concept you just shared, I could almost see a visual of it when you said from the moment of conception, we are in this space where we're expanding and we're growing and we're multiplying. And like, that's literally physically what is happening from the moment of conception. Right. And yet so many times in our lives We stay in that space where we shrink back, where we don't want to take up the space or fill the room or continue to multiply and grow. Do you think that is based off of attachment styles? Is it something else or is there just, you know, so much, so many different pieces that contribute to the why behind that?
0: I think largely it has to do with attachment styles and we can go way off here, but I also think it's about what we come in with. I think we come in with tendencies, predilections, influences, and, um, but certainly, and I think that, you know, using just that contraction, smaller, bigger is that I think the truth like life is simple. If we know how we want to feel, and if we know how we want to feel every choice we're faced with either makes us expand into that feeling or contract away from it. And then all the things, get the car, get the thing, get the house, get the whatever, those are just tools or accoutrement that would be like, those are ideas that I think I need to acquire to feel how I want to feel. So really, if we can tune in enough to how we want to feel, the choices become easy. The problem is we lose the truth, or don't know how to get the truth, and then we start thinking. And thinking isn't a self. Thinking isn't part of self. Thinking is a it's a tool that we use, but thinking is always point counterpoint, mm-hmm. truth, not that way. And feeling is not that way. And that our truth and our feeling are often conflicted with the world or what makes sense. You know, right. and I, I think the one of the influences,
2: the what's norm, what are the norms, what's okay.
1: What society I, tells you, yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. What shall be going to think of me if I cuss again? <laughs>
0: don't do it it. and but but i think it's also but those things have to be encountered right it's like our own crucifixion of immense where it's like you've got to go through something that challenges you that sets you apart right it's like that's the thing like you've probably encountered since we're talking you know you're you're women you've probably encountered uninitiated men (laughs) yeah yes but it's those those encounters right the the uninitiated is somebody who hasn't encountered that place in themselves that made them ask the hard questions do the hard things feel the hard feelings um and most and truthfully most emotional mental disorders are the reaction to or the response to feeling discomfort like Mm. most spiritual growth is directly related to How, what's our capacity to bear discomfort and stay in contact with self Mm. and other, right? And most of what we do that gets us in trouble is uh, how we try to numb or avoid or evacuate discomfort.
1: So, what I hear you saying at the heart of all of this is finding our truth. So, how do we do that? How do we really uncover our true soul, our true spirit? our true selves?
0: You know, the thing that I spend most of my time doing is helping people listen. And with your kids, you you both have children. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, the thing that makes a child full isn't telling them they did a good job, but hearing them and reflecting them back to themselves, because we have ideas of who we are. But until it gets reflected back to us by someone we trust and care about and that matters to us, it's like then it becomes a brick in our foundation. And so it's and even in couples, like if you think about being in a relationship with someone, how many people really deeply listen? And and that's the key. So it's like so the thing is finding the truth is listening to self. And it usually starts with the body because Mm -hmm. the body always happens first, a large most of our brain is geared towards receiving the signals that come from our body. But often we don't, we use our body as a display tool. We use our body, we drive it to um, accomplish things for us, but how much do we listen to it? Like right now, if I were to say, you guys open to an exercise? Yes, we love exercises. (laughs) So then what I would say is close your eyes and then feel yourself on your chair or couch whatever you're sitting on and let the chair do its work let it actually support you and just notice what comes up in the body just notice what happens is there tightness is there softness is there discomfort is your brain thinking like an activation is not the enemy here we're not looking for calmness we're just looking for presence so just what do you what do you notice and we're looking for sensations, not interpretation. It's tight. It's yellow. So, so who who wants to go first, just to talk about what do you notice?
1: I notice I'm sitting on my left butt cheek in a weird way. I think.
0: Got it. Okay. <laughs> Honestly,
1: split. it's sharp and um hard on that side of my body, and I can feel the sharpness of my elbows and the tops of my thighs. In the way that I'm sitting right now.
0: Got it. Okay. So let's work with that just for a minute. So what we do is, and I'll just be really quick. When you have the awareness, there's always an impulse and an inhibition. What would it be like to allow yourself to be 1% more comfortable? And what would you, and how, how would you do that?
1: How would I be 1% more comfortable? Yeah. I would shift the way that I'm sitting.
0: Got it. Okay. So, so try that. Okay. And how does that feel better? Worse? Neutral?
1: Feels much better. Mm-hmm.
0: Got it. Okay. So what happened was, is, and then we'll, we'll shift to Trinity here. You had an awareness, you were aware of yourself, and then you listened to yourself and you met your own need. Your mm-hmm. nervous system and your relationship to it just got stronger. So then we would keep working with that. Right? Okay. And keep, keep going in and in. So Trinity, what about you? What do you notice?
2: You better be ready. I'm a shit show, dude. Um, my stomach feels tight. Okay. My throat feels tight. I have this urge to cry uh, that I feel right at the base of my heart. I think this is why I never do these exercises. I never get quiet because when I do, yes, Shelby, I want to cry.
0: You want to cry? Okay. Mm-hmm. And what relationship to wanting to cry? Is it okay? I, is it-
2: um. I think in most spaces, I think it's okay, but I don't necessarily know where it's coming
0: from. Okay. And how does that feel? Do you, I don't want to keep you here if your choice is not to be here because I want to- No, my choice is it's to be here. It's to be here. Yeah. Okay. So you don't know where it's coming from. And is it okay if we keep going? Yeah. Okay. What's it like to not know?
2: I'm not a fan of not knowing. I like, I like, I like to know. I like to know why I like to get to the answer, fix it and keep it moving. So there's this unknown that I'm uncomfortable with.
0: Yeah. But are we
2: okay to keep going? We are okay to keep going. Okay. You Even if I chance. fall out of the chair and
0: start screaming, Brian, Got we're it. okay to keep going. We, we may need a wider shot to actually. <laughs> <laughs> um but well, what we would do there is I'd say, you know, you mentioned there's this place, this wanting to cry that's coming from your chest, like somewhere around your heart. Mm-hmm. So if, just rest your attention on that place in your heart and, that, and the wanting to cry and just notice it and just see what happens. It may get bigger, smaller, it may move because we're just watching energy, Trinity. It's just energy. We're watching it move and the energy wants to support you and make you allow you to know self. We're just watching. And what do you notice? It is definitely expanding. <laughs> it's expanding. Okay. Look at how brave you are, right? So, okay. So, what I'm going to do is have you open your eyes. And so, and then we'll do another exercise. When you look at Shelby or me and you see our eyes, what do you see? What do you notice? Compassion. Passion, Um, yeah, softness, got it. And when you see that compassion, what if you let that in through your eyes and into your cells? What happens? You can feel relief. The relief, and where do you feel the relief?
2: In my cry spot.
0: (laughs) spot. (laughs) But wonderful. Okay, got it. So the the question, Shelby, was how do we find that truth? Mm. It's these gentle, quiet ways. It's in the listening, right? And we all want to be two things. We want to be, well, I don't want to say everybody. I'll I'll speak for myself and what I see in most of my clients. We want to be fully expressed as we know ourselves to be, and we want to be safe doing it. And then everything follows, right? So we practice being safe within self. So anyway, I'm going to pause again and see where you all want to go, because I could just keep going.
2: First, thank you for that. That was really um, powerful for me. Um, I would love to move into attachment styles and talk about that as part of the root and the core of who we are and, and figuring out how to expose that. And then what the hell do you do with it once you know?
0: Okay. So. Attachment styles. What do you know about attachment styles? Are either of you really familiar with them, not familiar with them? Oh, probably about, I don't
2: know, three paragraphs that you shared earlier might be the extent of my knowledge. Got it.
0: Okay. Got it. Okay. We'll see. The simplest way to put it is attachment styles are what have I come to trust without even knowing it? And in early life, based on how we were attended to or not, what do I trust? So someone with a secure attachment trusts that when I'm in need, someone will be there for me. And when I ask for something, it will be okay. Healthy attachment is a simple equation. It's I know what I want and need, I can ask for it. And when it's given, I can receive it. And that's sounds easy, but it's very complicated, right? So someone who has a secure attachment, it's like I, I trust that I'm trust that I'm lovable and I can love. And if I reach out to love someone, they're going to receive it and it's going to go well. Mm-hmm. Right. And someone with an insecure attachment feels differently. Someone with an anxious, what we call an anxious ambivalent attachment there, what they've come to trust is I may be given love, but it's going to be taken away and I'm not going to be in control or know when it's going to be taken away, but I know I'll get a little bit of it and then it's going to go away. So what that person tends to do is they live always in the idea of what their partner's doing, not doing. When is it going to go away? I know it's going to go away. So they live in these ideas, these fantasies. They're constantly wondering about what is the person doing? Do they like me? Do they not like me? Do they whatever, right? So they learn it goes like that. The avoidant attachment learns, they learn to trust. Nobody's really going to be there for me and I need to do it myself if I'm going to get it, I need to do it myself. And most intimacy comes from me doing for other people. Mm. Provide them intimacy, I'm going to take care of them, I'm going to be good for them. And that's how it goes. And underneath there is this fear of abandonment. It's way Mm. down deep in those people. So they'll stay away. It's like people get into relationship with avoidance. And they're like, I can never get very close, right? Because the avoidant doesn't want you to go away, but they can't let you very close. So you stay in this weird limbo zone and people yeah. always, and then there's something called disorganized attachment. And that person is, is really, they have a disorganized place because they can't figure out to move close or go away. Um, and, and that comes from, because their caregiver was, they wanted their caregiver to be loving, but truthfully, their caregiver was actually threatening. So it's always in the double bind of, I want to get love from this person, but I don't trust them and it's going to be scary. So I don't have a good option. So they just kind of freeze and they don't know what to do. So it's kind of mixed, but, but you can actually see your attachment styles. Like the two of you, what I would say is the attachments, your partners, if you guys are in partnership right now, your partner will read the thing and partners to some 90th percentile could tell you exactly where you are. We're not so good at it. Like most people will say, I'm mostly secure, but I have a little bit of this or that, right? But the partner would be like, oh, really? Like watch <laughs> consultations with couples. I can watch their faces and I'll be like, oh, no, dude, you're, you're way off because his girlfriend or wife is like, oh, hell. No, Opposite. Not. Yeah. So, but it really comes down to when you're under stress or duress or pain, what do you do? Do you go towards somebody with desperation to get contact to feel safe? Or do you go by yourself to organize yourself, feel good? And then after you've come up with some conclusion or finality, then do you go, right? Because the anxiously attached person needs to be connected to feel safe, Mm -hmm. right? And so they'll reach out and they'll keep going. It's the person that says, wait, I just need a minute. They'll be, well, but just let me ask, but I'll just one more question. Just, and they can't stop talking. Mm -hmm. Right, because their their anxiety is building because they can't feel connection. And the avoidant person will be will go away because they're like, it's so stressful. They the avoidant usually experiences relationship as a demand. As a what? As a demand. Ah. Mm-hmm. You know, relationships are used because in their childhood usually people would come to them because they needed something or needed them to do something. Not because they were come somebody was coming to give them love. And then the secure person is just really available, right, when they're under stress. They're available. They can pause. They can listen. There's space. It doesn't become desperate. You know? Mm. So, So that's, and these things show up, like I said, they're formed from conception to three years old. And people won't know their attachment style until they get into a relationship where they're like, I really care about this person. I'm vulnerable to this person leaving, coming or going. I'm, I have an idea of the future. I have a wanting, I'm dependent on this person now because I want, and then boom, all the stuff comes up.
1: So interesting. Mm-hmm. So interesting. So I'm sitting here listening to you say that the attachment style is formed at a very young age between zero and three is it possible to evolve or for your attachment style to shift based on traumas that you experience later in life? For example, I was in an abusive um, marriage for 13 years. That was very mentally and verbally taxing. So I guess my question is, has that reformed or has that impacted my attachment style in some way, shape or form? And do I carry that trauma with me in some way into the next relationship?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we would have to talk a little bit more, but yes, it can shift. You start out with the baseline, and then there can be an event that traumatizes little T or big T. And do you know what I mean by that, big T, little T trauma?
1: I do, but I would love for you to explain that to our audience because you know, I understand trauma as it could be when you talk about, you know, big T trauma, that's like a bigger trauma and a smaller trauma. But I think just even the definition of trauma is important because I think people do believe that trauma has to be this gigantic impactful event that happens in life. when in fact, it actually can be something quite small. So maybe you can define that for us.
0: Yeah. Well, the the little t, like you said, it can be small, but it can be pervasive over time. And versus that's the little t trauma it's like little little cuts little digs little ways of not feeling safe little you know things like can you give that us an but, example um it can be a little tra- trauma could be listen if we talk about childhood or even an adult relationship let's say you get into a relationship you move in together and all of a sudden you find out your partner's a drinker and you know and you can see in their eyes something threatening and you come in and you see that look and it shuts your nervous system down because mm-hmm. you're afraid of what's going to happen next. Right. And so nothing. And they'd be like, wait, nothing happened. It's all good, whatever. But your nervous system takes a hit because yeah. there's something in there. Trauma is usually any trauma is about I'm out of control to uh, be in my own safety. Like my safety has been taken away from me because there's something going on in my environment that is bigger than my ability to make myself safe. And that's where then the nervous system goes haywire and we drop into more primitive parts of the brain because I can't make myself safe. And that really did what we call disorganizes the nervous system. And so one of the things is, anytime there's a trauma that drops below what we call the limbic system or different parts, is that the brain does not regulate it to history. It doesn't move it in the hippocampus to history. It Mm. keeps present. That's the problem with trauma. So, um, Shelby, if you were in a relationship where you did not feel safe and you never resolved that, then there's a part of your brain that is still on high alert and it lives it day to day. And you meet somebody, mm. and everything's gonna be filtered through that part. And then then every exchange goes through the amygdala, it goes through this, this fear, this scary part of the brain, and you lose the capacity to be benevolently in tune to yourself or the other person because you're seeing everything through the threat centers. And so what I would say is if you felt unsafe for a long period of time and you were mistreated in a way where at some point you felt, I don't know how to do this i don't know how to be safe i don't know how to get out of this then certainly it's going to impact your future relationships because what will happen is your first question with any potential partner is going to be is this safe right and then you lose certain capacities of assessment which attachment well i'll stop there like i said i keep keep going no i
1: think that's very insightful so then the question that then occurs in my mind is how do I let go of the trauma? How do I heal? How do I shift the mindset and see things through a different lens moving forward?
0: Um, There's, I mean, that's where, depending on the type of trauma, there's therapies that work with that. Like we actually have to go into, into it in a way, like even though like where we were doing that body work, you know, like my training is in somatic experiencing where we let the body talk, but mm-hmm. we keep the body safe, but we let the body talk. It, it will tell you the body always remembers. It never forgets. And it always tells the truth. So so we watch it like a lot of my training. If we were in therapy, I would be watching your various things in your uh, physiology. Like I'd be watching your your movements. If your eyes dilate, how your heartbeat is going. Is there a flush? Like there's all kinds of things. So I'd say, oh, let's slow down. here. My
2: because man my- is all up in your
0: heartbeat, people. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, <laughs> that's true. That is true. Right. And so we go into those places, that little part of your brain. It's like if you had a, a scared child, you have a four bedroom house and the scared child is in the fourth bedroom. A lot of people will be like, oh, I want to go into the fourth bedroom because it's scary up there. And the fourth bedroom's a mess. So I'm going to go into the first bedroom to clean up. Right. And then they come down. They're like, I don't know. Why do I still feel scary? It's like, Mm -hmm. well, because I never went into the fourth bedroom. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we go into the fourth bedroom with you gently, super gently. And your body tells us when it's time to go. And the body also tells us how scary it is there. And then we go there together and we sit with the child and we let it have an experience And then we we rework safety, that you are safe, you have power, you have choice, and you get to invite and you get to consent, you get to have consent, you know, because trauma, when it comes, it doesn't ask you for consent. You know, like when I said, it'd be okay, are you guys open to do an exercise? Right? And you say, yes, now we can do some work, we have to work in consent. And, then, and I
2: can imagine so many people, myself included, that have experienced trauma in both the small T and the big T sense. We don't even really necessarily know. Like I can pinpoint, you know, one, two, three, four, five, ten, twenty, all the big traumas. That's easy. Um, and so it may even be easier because I can name it and put it in a place to. Deal with it to a certain certain degree, right? But it's I think it's those small teas that jack us up, because we don't, we don't, we haven't named them. We don't see them. We don't recognize them. They're just you know, oh, suck it up, Trinity, move on, deal with it. Um, versus really recognizing it for what it is. How do we recognize those small teas that perhaps have built? on top of one another. And now they've built little doll houses inside of me and, you know, and, and it's, it's harder to ferret them out and and connect with them for what they are and move through them.
0: Um, it's similar to the attachment style, but I'll just to answer this question, um, you build a relationship to your discomfort Mm -hmm. and then you listen. Because freedom and an expansive expansion of energy is on the other side of discomfort,
2: mm. and in the
0: work that I would do, like with Somatic Experiencing, you know, let's say Shelby and I were working through how the uh, the past relationship impacted her. When we had, when we moved through it, because the trauma holds a pocket of our vital energy hostage, because it's not safe. So we living we're living smaller in a self than is our mm. birthright. And so it holds it hostage. And so when we go in there and we say, we talk to that child or that woman, and we're like, you're safe, you're present, and we're here to make you safe, and we can work this, blah, blah, blah. When that safety comes, the energy expands. Like people will literally, they'll spend high. I've had clients, and even in my own work, I've spent two or three days or a week high because the energy of self comes back. And then, then there's this expansion, right? And so... So what we do is we watch the discomforts and the fears and any habituated stuff to see, because anything that's fast can be dumb and aggressive because that's Mm -hmm. the way the brain works. So we slow down, slow down, listen to the body, build a relationship to what makes us uncomfortable. Because remember I said in the beginning, most psycho-spiritual growth is directly related to our capacity to be with our discomfort. Yeah. Yeah and consciousness an increase in consciousness comes through the discomfort we have to go through the dark forest but we want we don't want to do it recklessly we want to go with uh, a safe you know it's like you know I could talk about other work but like when I've done journey work or I've done other things I make sure it's safe Mm. you know Um, but there has to be enough risk for you to find a new place in yourself you have to find out oh, I'm amazing. I just did that. Like Trinity, let's look at you today, right? You were like, oh, I hate this, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to feel my heart and I'm going to want to cry. And I'm like, okay, we can stop. Is this too much? You're like, uh-uh, I'm right here, right? Um, but that's not for everybody. That's yeah. not for everybody, right? So some people, there was a, a guy, his name was Casey Kochmer and I did some work with him for a while, and he said there's this philosophy. He said it's a Taoist philosophy. I've never been able to find a reference for it, but he said 70% of the population wants to stay safe, consistent, stable. Don't rock the boat. Let's just be cool, everybody. Just keep it here. And then there's another 15% that want power and influence. They want to show the world that, like, I'm here. I've arrived. See me. And I can move things around. And then there's this last 15% that just wants to be free. Like they want to express, they want to liberate themselves. They want to find out. They want to answer mm-hmm. big questions, right? And they won't stop, right? But you got to know, like when my clients come in, I really look, which category are they in? Mm-hmm. Because we don't want to push anybody. And that's where I say, it's really in the listening. That's where I'm like, "How oh, we, can, we can stop, Trinity. We can wait. And you're like, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. I'm, I'm like, no, I'm always gonna be a let's go. And then I'm turn around, come on guys, let's all run through the forest. Who cares yeah. if we tear down every tree way? let's go.
0: Right, yeah, I may be like, okay, we'll we, we work with that too. <laughs> um,
2: yeah. So I know uh, Shelby and I took an assessment where we did our attachment styles. Anything you um, wanted to dive into from those?
0: Well, they both came out predominantly secure, right?
2: Which is interesting to me because our um, childhood rearing probably could not have been any more different.
0: Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Well, and it could, and, and, uh, Shelby, it looked like you were going to say something there.
1: Can't. Well, I, I find it interesting because just hearing you describe the different styles, I would tend to say that I am on the side of maybe, sorry, which was the one that was, I don't feel like I'm anxious. I feel like I might be the avoidant.
0: Avoidance? Mm. Really? So you'd be, yeah, be self sufficient. You'd be, you know, there's usually an achievement. The person achieves yeah. a lot. Self sufficient.
1: In my head, absolutely that person. And I think. I had a hard time answering some of the questions because I'm not in a current relationship. So I feel like the questions were asked within the frame of the context. And to be honest, I've only had really two my marriage and one other semi-serious lengthy relationship. And so I think it was hard for me to put myself in that mindset to really answer those questions from a place of authenticity because I ha- I am not in a relationship currently. So I don't really have a current baseline of how i am actually behaving in a relationship but yeah i'm the independent person my ex-husband used to have to say to me can you just let me love you because
0: Mm. i
1: would not allow i was too independent too strong i could do it myself i don't need you and i do think that was one of the the cruxes of our discontent in our marriage
0: I mean, that, you know, I mean, without knowing more, that does sound like the avoidance attachment, because the avoidant is always managing the intimacy to manage the vulnerability. And and, and so it's like, when we come together, how we come together, how, you know, it's like, and also being out, being engaged for a long period of time creates a lot of stress for the avoidantly attached. Like you know, listening for a long time, being present, being asked—like they'll need to retreat to gather themselves. Like they may check out emotionally, they may check out mentally, even if they stay present. But the but the avoidantly attached will also often feel obligated. Like there can be a little codependence. Like they're afraid of, "I'm going to do it wrong. I can do this," you know. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not just. But so they'll they'll overburden themselves mm-hmm. to to supply the needs because remember they learn often that their intimacy give intimacy or get intimacy by what they do for others. You know, the anxiously anxious attachment can also do that. Um, mm. But so I don't, I don't know if that.
1: That very much resonates with me. And actually it's so interesting because I'm sitting here now I'm psychoanalyzing my relationship with my ex-husband and also wondering what was his attachment style as well, because both parties mm. come to the table with, their suitcase full of stuff. Um, they're big T's and little T's. And so I think, uh, for example, I feel like he was meant as a child to feel like he was not enough. And I was this avoidant type of person where I'm very independent. I can do it myself. I don't need your love. I don't need your attention. And he needed that to feel significant. He wanted to feel significant and, So I think that created a lot of tension in our relationship because, because I was so independent type a juggling all of the balls, doing all of the things, then it made him feel again, that little child that was maybe not enough and wasn't contributing equally to the household. And then guess what? The more he felt insignificant it created stress for him. He brought that stress into the relationship and took that out on me. He felt bad. He wanted to make me feel bad. So when I felt bad, I thought I must be doing something wrong. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do all the things better. I'm going to be more perfect. you going to make the most perfect-, perfect lasagna you've ever seen in all of your days. <laughs> oh, well, this bitch can cook a lasagna. But in the end of the day, I was like, trying to be more perfect and more perfect and more perfect. And the more perfect that I tried to be the more anxiety and stress that created for him, because it more, the more that made him mm. feel not enough.
0: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it sounds like you did what they call a classic anxious avoidant dance. Cause my mm-hmm. guess is, is that he would go from moments of I'm going to pull away because I'm in pain and then he'd blow up. Right. And then he'd just like yep. the emotion would come out and then he'd be kind of desperate and he'd be like, Ooh, that's not attractive. And it's overwhelming. And let me do this. And you know, it was like, it's probably this anxious avoidant um, dance that you were engaged in. And the way that each of you would seek to take care of yourselves that you would learn from childhood. Like the avoidant learns to be safe in childhood. Like these are not bad things. They're adaptive qualities. The avoidant learns to, I'm going to do it myself because no one's going to do it for me. And I'm not going to be left out. So I'm going to do me and I'm going to do me well. And you're all going to see how well I'm going to do me because I have to depend on me. Right. And so I'm going to do it really well. And so they learn to do that, but they also learn not to trust another. And then the anxiously attached is like, they're often always like, I'm going to do it perfectly. I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to pay attention to you. Like you would have probably found your ex was always thinking about you. You know, like mm. in that dance, the avoidance and the anxiously attached person are usually both thinking about the avoidant because the avoidant learns to think about themselves. What are my needs? How am I going to do it? And the anxiously attached is always thinking, well, when are they going to leave me? Are they okay? And then they'd mm. be assessing you constantly. Are you going away today? Are you coming towards me? Are you happy? Are you not happy? Am I okay? Am I not okay? So it becomes overwhelming. Mm. It becomes overwhelming. And then there's, um, and both are in an active abandonment of self. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what gets hard. Because as you strive to be more perfect, you're moving farther away from your authentic expression of you. You're absolutely right. Right. Because you want, we all want to be absolutely who we are and have it be safe. Mm-hmm. But his demand on you was asking you to be somebody other than you truly were or can be or want to be. And that becomes unmanageable become unmanageable
1: for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So my
2: question is how do we, how do we continue to move forward and not take this, let's say into the next relationship to, um, you know, I think, I know Shelby and I are both actively dating and, and kind of in a space where we've been Felt like, hey, my heart is open. I'm emotionally available, and now I'm like, am I really emotionally available? I don't know. I might have to spend. You're some-
1: thinking the exact same thing. I'm <laughs> but- like, hmm, if I am truly avoidant, is there is that indicative is there- of why I haven't had a relationship in exactly. all seven years? Right. Hmm. Interesting. So well- how
2: how do we do that? You know, how do we continue to move forward and not shrink back? Right. Continue right. to expand and to grow um, into that thing that we do want, which ultimately is a loving, amazing relationship.
0: You know, what you do is you learn to, like we went through earlier, you learn to listen to yourself and you learn to watch your reactions and you learn, you become an expert on what would the secure do? Mm. What would the securely attached person do. And then like in the scenario of, like, let's say something comes up then you would say what would a securely attached person do? And then you look at the distance between your reaction and what the securely attached person would do. And that could be like saying yes or saying no, or expressing a vulnerability. Because um, a lot of times the insecure attachments make assumptions about the other person and they don't reality test. They don't they're like, oh, it's over. It's this, it's that, as opposed to engaging and letting the other person have the opportunity to be in relationship to by sharing our own vulnerability. Like sharing the truth is always the most dynamic way to find out if somebody's a match for you or not. Hmm. Because their reaction to the truth is going to tell you who they hmm. are, because people bond at their levels of dysfunction, not function. Like it's the bonds, the bonds that bind us come from where we meet in dysfunction. Like the dysfunctions can be different, but that's where we bond. And so it's like, and it's not always good bonding is whatever it is, right? Like we would love to meet and this person could be perfect for me, but if they're perfect, you get bored. Yes. If you're, you're like, oh God, this is, this is so <laughs> dull, right? But then, so you share your truth and the truth is the most powerful thing in a relationship. Because it will tell you so quickly where somebody else is and if they can meet you.
2: When I close my eyes, I cry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we love you for it.
0: We love you for it.
1: I'm usually the crier Brian's. The Trinity is laughing because it was her turn this time. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Good. Good. But we can do it again. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I, you know what i just Trust might take me. you up on that <laughs> i'm gonna make her start every single session by closing her eyes every oh, single interview
0: just see what going happens
1: deep. yeah and just see what happens
0: but this and, has and been we can do that for sure so and,
1: and
0: what, but what I'm, is there's a book or it's actually an audio program by um the guy that i trained with uh, dr stan tatkin and he wrote a book called your brain on love And he does a really, really good job in there of describing the different attachment styles, but in particular, how the attachment styles work together in relationship and really good job of saying, this is what a securely attached person would look like. Mm. Once you know that, right, then it makes things much easier, right? You're like, how am I going to react? I'm going to share my truth. And then you let the other person show you through your vulnerability and your truth where they are. Um, And Mm -hmm. if they can meet you, but really it's like becoming listening to yourself and becoming an expert on what would a securely attached person do. And I will say though, that my favorite people, I mean, no offense to the securely attached, but the best people in the world are the insecurely attached in recovery because it brings consciousness with it because the path through it is the avoidant has to move through the anxious attachment before they become into the secure attachment. But the person that makes that trip comes with so much consciousness and self-awareness. And that is delicious, right? Like that is like the best thing. Because a lot of securely attached people come into my office and they'll be like, oh, my God, some really bad things just happened. And I don't know what to do, right? Because life's been easy for them, mm. right? And they're like, it's, it's, it comes as a shock. Yeah. So, so being, having an insecure attachment actually has some bonus to it. Yeah.
1: Well, I think this is so interesting. And thank you for that reference because I was sitting here thinking, okay, if you're making that as your baseline, what would the securely attached person do? I was sitting here wondering, hmm, how do I know what the securely attached person would do in this situation? So we'll definitely put that um, link in our show notes as we um, publish the podcast. But This has been so enlightening for me, Brian. Thank you so much for taking the time today to have this conversation, to put us through the exercises and really cause us to be reflective on who we are as individuals and how those big T's and little T's have carried with us through our lives. And this has certainly given us food for thought. Trinity just texted me the name of the the book that you just recommended. So we're both gonna check it out. So thank you very much
0: check it out and the last thing I would say is like Shelby what we went through there is when you listen to yourself and you're like I'm uncomfortable listen to your in all both everybody listen to your impulses and inhibitions because we inhibit ourselves so often but it has nothing to do with our truth we do it Mm -hmm. for other people or because things would be uncomfortable or because so it's like if we really look at I'm gonna I'm gonna live a little more uninhibitedly. I mean, granted, mm-hmm. we have to do it with a discernment, but there's little there's just those these little things. And as we start listening to ourselves, and the self starts hearing and seeing us listen, that relationship gets uh, exponentially stronger. And then we live in a bigger capacity. Mm-hmm. So it's that's you know just one thing I throw out. I love
2: that finding more space for yes.
1: Yes. And living bigger. (laughs) I love this idea of expansion. And I feel like that's where I would like to say that Trinity and I I feel are in this space in midlife where we're really trying to live bigger and live more into our truth. So thank you for giving us some gosh, such rich um, tools and recommendations on how mm-hmm. to do that. And it really does start, it sounds like with just listening and being in tune with what your body is telling you.
0: Yeah. It is. And, we, and with the no's. The yeses usually don't come until the no's land because the mm-hmm. no, the yeses yeah. don't have space unless we say no to what doesn't serve us. And when we say no, the space is created for the yeses to come in. Oh, I love that. And the I no's often too. are harder. So So that's why I tell people, find the no's. What am I saying yes to that is actually a no? Mm, And the universe will do its job with the yeses. Those will come, but often we don't give the universe enough room. Amen. So
2: how do our listeners find you? I know that there are going to be plenty of folks that are listening to this saying, I need to talk to this cat. He's got some stuff that I need to hear directly. How do they find you? How do I find you later? It's a really the big question. Uh,
0: <laughs> um, probably my website, Brian dot com, is a good way. That's that's you a know, good
2: way. I MFT makes me laugh because I made up my own acronym when I didn't know what it meant. So you are Brian Matson, the motherfucking truth. <laughs> I love it. Are. I love it.
1: That is uh, what uh, I'll
0: go with that. Okay, right. well, I love it. It was lovely talking with you both. Yeah, thank you so much you for too. your time
1: today, Brian. We appreciate you.
0: All right, likewise. Have Bye. a
1: good afternoon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to our guest today, Brian Matson, who shared with us some valuable information about attachment styles and how they can limit our intimacy in our existing relationships. In this podcast, Brian shared with us several key pieces of information. That will add value in the way that you operate moving forward number one attachment styles are a framework that is laid over the true self that are based on how we are related to or not related to by our primary caregiver between the ages of zero and three two life is simple if we know how we want to feel then the choices we make either help us to expand into that feeling or contract away from it three most spiritual growth is directly related to our capacity to bear discomfort and then stay in contact with self. Four, ask yourself what a securely attached person might do in this situation. Five, listen to your impulses and inhibitions. And six, find the no's. What are you saying yes to that should be a no? Thank you so much to Brian for his insights on attachment styles. And if you're enjoying the Dear Midlife podcast, please leave us a review.